Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This was the cry of the crowds on Palm Sunday. During that week, during Holy Week, during the past week, those same crowds, many of those who were in that crowd, would transform their message from Hosanna to crucify Him. How did it go? From Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord to crucify Him just a few days later. If we're honest with ourselves, we will admit that we do this. We acclaim Jesus on Sunday, but quickly, sometimes, even that afternoon or, or the next day or the day after that, certainly by Friday, we have turned ourselves and in our actions and in our inactions and our words and in our deeds and how we treat others or how we fail to treat others. We have gone from Hosanna to crucifying Jesus in our failures. Both cries are witnesses to the church's affirmations of faith. The first cry recognizes that Jesus is our Savior, and He comes to deliver us. And the second cry affirms that for us to be saved, we must recognize and accept Jesus' self-loving sacrifice. The cry of Easter morning follows closely on the heels of these two affirmations and comes as a direct result, as a direct consequence of them both. Alleluia! Christ is risen! The Lord is risen indeed! Alleluia! Now, Alleluia is Hebrew for praise the Lord. It is an ancient Hebraic liturgical phrase that became embedded in the early church's worship from its very earliest days. Its use is one of the ways that we know that this proclamation is amongst the earliest elements of all Christian worship. It is ancient. It is time-honored. It is actually pretty much universal among Christians to make this affirmation, to make this proclamation. Today, you'll hear Protestants proclaim it. Catholics proclaim it, Orthodox proclaim it, you'll hear Christians of non-aligned denominations and independent churches proclaim it, Alleluia, Christ is risen, the Lord is risen indeed, Alleluia. It is one of the most ancient and widespread of Christian affirmations going back when most Christians were still Jews, Alleluia. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. In response to my statement, the Lord is risen, Alleluia, we are invited to proclaim the Lord is risen indeed. So I invite you to echo with me. Alleluia. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Let's do that again. Alleluia. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. One more time. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Together, 
All these affirmations tell the story of Holy Week and Easter Sunday. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Crucify Him. And hallelujah, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. These cries tell the story of Jesus. These cries tell the story of Jesus' acclaim and the recognition that He is due as our Savior and of His selflessness and sacrifice for us and of the victory which we have now and share with Jesus in His resurrection. It's a witness to the mighty power of God breaking in upon us in the life and ministry of Jesus. It began way back at Advent with the Annunciation unto Mary and to Joseph and to Zechariah by the Archangel Gabriel of the coming of Emmanuel, God is with us. The witness continued with John the baptizer's affirmation of Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it is brought to fruition through the proclamation of the disciples and the church. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. What was the first witness to the resurrection's affirmation? I want you to pay attention to the pronouns here. Her first word was that she had found the tomb empty, and she didn't know where the body was. Her witness isn't finished yet, but that's enough to get it started. Did you catch those pronouns? Now, a couple of guys, Peter and John, had to get involved in this. They raced to the tomb. They tried to beat each other to the tomb. John gets there first, but finds it empty. And Peter gets there and goes inside, finds it empty. And it says they go away not understanding, they, believing, but not understanding what the Scriptures had proclaimed. Leaving Mary Magdalene, the her and the she, in this story, standing there with tears in her eyes stooping to look into the tomb. And there she sees two angels sitting on the plinth where Jesus' body had laid, one at the head and one at the feet. And through her tears, she doesn't really recognize them. She doesn't see that they're angels. She doesn't know what it is. She has bewilderment. Her startled character, the, the startled character of her response to the angels is evident. She almost appears to be in a daze. It doesn't even register to her that the beings that are sitting there are angels. They speak to her and she replies back as if they're just anybody. Indeed, when she turns with tears in her eyes and sees Jesus standing there, she doesn't recognize Jesus. She thinks he's the gardener. Where, where have you laid him? I will come and get him and take him for burial. 
It wasn't until Jesus said her name, spoke her name, uttered her name, Mary, that the tears were pierced, that the gloom was relieved, that her dazedness, her confusion was relieved. And, and she looked and she saw and finally she believed that this is in fact Jesus. And she cries out, Teacher, Rabboni! And is filled with joy. All four Gospels tell the story of the resurrection in different ways. They talk about the empty tomb in different ways. They have disagreements with regards to whether the sun was up or just coming up or it was still dark at the time. Or how many angels greeted those who came to the tomb or whether or not they were even angels at all. They disagree with regards to who went to the tomb first. How many were in that group? Was it one person, several persons? Was it one disciple or multiple disciples? But they all agree on one thing. In addition to the tomb being emptied, in addition to some body or bodies being there to say hi and to ask some questions, they all agree that regardless of everything else, one consistent witness was there, and it was Mary Magdalene. They all agree on that. And as an historian, I think it's very interesting to note that of all of the characters that could have been there, of all of the disciples that followed Jesus who could have been at the tomb, of all of those who could be the first to receive this wonderful affirmation of his resurrection, of all of those who could see Jesus first in his resurrection, the fact that one of them was Mary Magdalene is amazing. The one person that the ancient world would not have chosen, if they were making this story up, if the early disciples were making this story up, they would have chosen John or, or Peter or one of the other male disciples to find the tomb empty. They wouldn't have chosen a woman, and they certainly wouldn't have chosen Mary Magdalene. Hmm. What an interesting historical affirmation of the perplexing and amazing truth of this incredible proclamation. She is the first one to say, I have seen the Lord. Had they been making it up, they wouldn't have chosen her to be the person who said this. But Mary, even through tears, even in despair, she has this encounter. And when he speaks her name, she sees him, she knows him, she recognizes him, she believes him and proclaims him. Only Mary at the tomb sees, hears, and knows the presence of Christ. Where do we see Christ? What new thing has God done in us that we can see the Lord in our midst? The resurrection of Jesus teaches us that sin and death cannot overcome God's love. 
And indeed, that God's love is victorious over our failings and even over the power of death itself. We fail. Our bodies fail. Our minds are faulty. Our memories dim. Our strength wanes. There is suffering and pain in this life, and death is very real. But, even despite all that, the resurrection of Jesus teaches us that the love of God remains. The pains of life and the finality of death don't overcome, don't snuff out, cannot destroy or eradicate the love of God made known to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. That affirmation of the early church, that proclamation of the early church, that witness of faith of the early church to the love of God in Jesus overcoming sin and overcoming death is an affirmation that we have made now for nearly 2,000 years, 1,992 years as a people of God, as a family of faith. And it's a proclamation that never ends It feeds us, it nourishes us, it strengthens us, it gives us hope, it gives us vision, it gives us an understanding of what God's will is for us, and that is proclaiming the good news of God's love for all. And all means all. There is no one who has ever lived, lives or will ever live, that God does not love does not cherish, does not welcome, does not embrace. The good news of the resurrection of Jesus is that we are not alone. In all that we go through, we are not alone. And that in this life, death is not the end, but only the beginning of an eternity with God in God's love. Give thanks and praise to God for the resurrection. Give thanks and praise to God as we proclaim, Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and good and a joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, 
and spoke to us through your prophets. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. are you and blessed is your son Jesus Christ. Your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come and you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. When the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with your Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Our Savior Christ has taught us, let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. 